Primary Care Knowledge Boost, COVID-19, Episode 7. Research into COVID-19 in primary care. Hi everyone and welcome back to Primary Care Knowledge Boost. We just wanted to start by giving you a quick update. Um, You may have noticed that Episode 4 of the COVID series has disappeared from your feed. Um, This was an episode talking all about the enabling safe certification of death service in Greater Manchester. Um, We were made aware last week that there have been significant changes to the service as it was an evolving service. So unfortunately, some of the information in the episode is no longer relevant. uh, So that's why we decided to remove it. We will post a link to the enabling safe certification of death service facts and questions website. um, And that's the area to get the most up to date information about the service. Exactly. Um, So today we are focusing on research in primary care with regards to COVID-19. And it was a topic that was requested by Greater Manchester primary care workers. So we thought it was um, a good idea to cover. Uh, We're thrilled to be able to talk to GPs involved in research, Dr. Nick Thomas, um, Professor Philip Evans and Dr. Sheila McCorkendeal. They were able to break down the landscape of research in primary care on COVID really well for us. Um, We came away from the topic with a better understanding of what's going on, as well as being really proud of the research that's happening in the UK and the joined up approach that everybody is taking. Yeah, absolutely. Also in the talk, we do talk about the principal study. Um, That's a study which is aiming to find out whether selected treatments given to those at higher risk of becoming more ill when infected with COVID-19 can help reduce the need for hospitalisation as well as the length of stay. Just to explain, just in case it wasn't clear. Lovely. So we hope you enjoy. We always like to start with um, introductions. So if you just want to introduce yourselves and um, kind of what your role is at the minute. Yeah, hi, I'm uh, Phil Evans. I'm an academic GP here in Exeter in Devon, and I'm also the National Specialty Lead for Primary Care for the Clinical Research Network, the CRN of the NIHR. I'm Nick Thomas. I'm a GP in West Oxfordshire, and I'm the CRN Lead in Thames Valley in South Midlands, and I'm also the Clinical Lead for Research at the Royal College of GPs. And I'm Sheila McCorkendale. I'm the Primary Care Research Specialty Lead with Greater Manchester research network and we cover the whole of greater manchester and eastern cheshire wonderful so in terms of the first question it's all about scene setting so why is it important to talk about primary care research relating to covid at the moment shall i take that one go on phil yeah We've been promoting research to general practices for many years, and there are lots of um, un- unanswered questions in general practices, and everybody who's listening will understand, really, that need to be answered by research and give us an evidence base to do that. And really, I think the COVID uh, pandemic has really, I think, prompted us to think again and given us a really new impetus to uh, involve GPs in research. Um, there's so many unanswered questions about COVID, uh, about treatment and diagnosis and, uh, and management and referral, et cetera, et cetera. So there's lots of questions to be answered. And we hope that through the, the, the studies that we've got on our portfolio that we're now starting to run through primary care, we can answer some of those. Yeah, that's a, a great introduction, definitely. And then just following on from that, there's been a lot of email noise in general. And we have all noticed there's bits and pieces about research. But would you mind giving us an introduction to the landscape of the different areas of research? Well, to be fair, it's been a great collective effort right across the country with universities, hospitals, and uh, in our case, the National Institute for Health Research, all working together to promote studies. So uh, we're looking in the NIHR studies that are being run through the 
through the CRN. And we've now got over 20, we've got 29 studies, in fact, that are big studies running through all aspects of healthcare. And I think the big picture is that we're covering everything from sort of preclinical work with new molecules to uh, community and primary care. A lot of studies in secondary care, as you can imagine, from the beginning of the uh, the pandemic. Uh, a lot in acute care, uh, but also, of course, in ITU. So lots of new treatments being trialled in an ITU and in a sort of a critical care setting. Uh, then in, in increasingly, we're going to see vaccines and other treatments coming through. So we, we like to think that we're covering all sort of bases in terms of the sectors and how COVID might impact on them. Uh, and we need the evidence base very quickly. These studies are progressing at a speed that we haven't really seen before for a lot of them. Uh, everybody's just working together at a, collaboratively at a rate that we haven't seen before. And there's great buy-in and there's great enthusiasm to undertake these studies. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, we were we were on the NIHR website and saw all the range of different studies. We were quite surprised. Um, there was way more than we were expecting there to be. Um, like you say, covering all sorts of different areas, not just primary care. We're working together, actually. A lot of those studies will work together to enroll patients in more than one study. So, you know, we're trying to be more joined up, uh, particularly in a hospital setting as we move forward. Okay. Okay. That makes more sense now. Um, and actually, that does lead quite nicely into the next question, which was about what's actually happening in primary care in terms of research from the NHR. Well, from the NHR, I think most of the efforts has been concentrated on principle. That's a platform study. The platform studies are really interesting because they're the ones that we're concentrating a lot of the efforts on in terms of the clinical impact and all three of them have got very innovative designs and they can be adaptive. So you can put new treatments in when they come available and you can take treatments that are proving to be not efficacious. You can take those out. So, so it's actually a, a great design and, the, and you have various arms and you can add or subtract arms as you go through. It's a really flexible way of doing research. And the, the thing about having a platform study is we really need to get practices into it rapidly. We need a large number of practices and we're working hard to achieve that. So most of the efforts in primary care through the NIHR are being concentrated on principle. There are one or two other studies, uh, some smaller studies, some uh, epidemiological studies that are going on, some of them in, in the background, actually, and working with the RCGP, with the Research Surveillance Centre, for a number of those studies which allows GPs uh, recording COVID or potential COVID patients and tracking them through the system. And a lot of that can be done in the background. Um, but the principal study is the one that we need real engagement with practices for. Can I go back to the RCGP RSC for a sec and Research Surveillance Centre? And uh, that's underpinning the principal research platform trial. That's the first thing to say with that. There's all the surveillance work. There's the swabbing of patients. And there's also the, the virology and, and serology of patients where even when they don't have COVID or actually can be involved where they're trying to provide some more information on population health with regards to COVID itself in the COVID versus the non-COVID patient. So that's really interesting work that's going on and underpinning this as well as time goes on and we're trying to follow this COVID world that we've now become embroiled in, really. So in terms of the principal study, where, if maybe Sheila, where are we up to in Greater Manchester with that? Are many practices signed up? Well, at the moment, we've got 17 practices that are open to recruitment and we hope to have nearly 60 practices um, signed up and recruiting within the next week or so. I mean, the response from our GPs has been absolutely tremendous and uh, I think everyone's just keen to help patients stay out of hospital. And can people still sign up? Can practices still sign up for principal? 
Well, at the moment, unfortunately, um, expressions of interest have closed because across the country, uh, and that includes Wales, Northern Ireland and Scotland as well, the study team have received, I think, over 1,600 expressions of interest, which is just an amazing number for any study. So they've had to put EIs on pause for a moment, but depending on how things go, it may well open up again. Okay, grand. And does a practice need to have done research before or can literally, can any practice have signed up? It is a treatment study. We call it a CTIMP. So it is a little tricky if you've not done it before, but it's very straightforward. And if you can do ordinary surgeries in general practice, you can do this research study. So I would really encourage any practices to to think about taking part so they can offer this opportunity to their patients. Okay, what does that actually involve for GPs to do? The amount of work a practice has to do is really straightforward. Basically, you sign up, you're given a login and a, a unique identifying number for the website. Um, practices are then asked to run a search on their list of patients and send out texts to any potentially eligible patients. They'll also put up posters, they're liaising with local out-of-hours providers and so on, so that any patients that bypass the practice are directed back to the study. And I should add there that actually all these other organisations have been absolutely fantastic about supporting local practices with this effort. And then once the patient consents online, then the practice will contact them and they will check eligibility because although these drugs have been around for a long time you obviously don't want anyone to take part who might be at risk of taking any of these drugs so providing the patient is then eligible they're randomized either into the treatment arm which of course they still get best usual care or just the best usual care Lovely. and then the practice actually dispenses the medicine and well hopefully the NHS uh, volunteers are actually going to go out and deliver it straight to the patient so very straightforward for the practice very straightforward for the patient's Patients are asked to um, complete a diary for the following 28 days and so they're monitored over that time and if there's any problems they can contact the study team. Any problems with the medication they can of course just stop it if needs be because patients do have the choice whether or not to, to participate in the study and we want them to have the best experience possible. It's a fantastic study. Actually, absolutely brilliant. Our patients love it. They respond to it really, really well, want to get involved. GPs love it. Practices love it. Practice staff love it. It's very easy to do the swab discussion with a patient, which is all done remotely. And so in that way, it just makes it easier for all parties concerned to really um, to, to make make a difference. Is your practice doing it, Nick? Yeah, we've been open for a few weeks and we've already recruited our 10th patient now, which is fantastic. The response has been absolutely remarkable. Uh, patients have been trying to become involved, even if they're not eligible. It's really great to hear and great to be part of. So can I just add from the practical point of view, if you've never done research before, the key thing is that your lead GP will need to do good clinical practice training and you will have to have some governance procedures in place because after all you are running a trial. But the CRNs are all here to help you. You can provide sort of hands-on help, albeit remotely with that. So please don't be afraid of of, of, um, taking it on. Uh, We can certainly uh, help you with that. Brilliant. So you won't be out there on your own after signing up trying to figure out how to do it. Definitely not. Yeah, actually, we've got a great WhatsApp group going of all the practices uh, that are doing this in Greater Manchester. Uh, Lots of helpful uh, hints and tips from the experienced practices. Everyone's helping each other out with it. You know, response has been really amazing. It is really incredible how fast this has been set up and how much uptake there's been. Well, it's been phenomenal, really, as you say. And, and we've never, obviously, we've never run a study of this size in a pandemic before. And, we've, and we're learning rapidly as we develop the study. And how you fit a study into a pandemic 
it's got the same principles as doing the usual studies that we do, but very much an accelerated form. But all the nuances like, you know, avoiding face-to-face contact and having to run a study around those issues. And, and likewise, the rapid regulation and all the other, all the other organizations that are involved with it have been very good, particularly the HRA and other people. Myself and Phil have been involved with the study team, but it's been an absolute privilege, actually, and a complete pleasure throughout this journey just to get to this point. And this, the sheer speed and the way that they've done, the hours they've put in, absolutely remarkable. And I really have to give them a special mention, really, in this. Brilliant. And in terms of um, other research, so we've, we've talked a lot about the principal one there. In terms of Royal College of GP research and the surveillance centre, um, there's quite a lot that's going on as well. Can can you guys sort of talk us through some of that? Yeah, that's fine. So the Research and Surveillance Centre, one of the oldest sentinel systems in Europe, it's there to watch and monitor all the infectious diseases that have come through over the years. The RSC is providing all of the surveillance data to Public Health England of COVID and what's happening as it's going through. So it knows already what our levels are doing and then reports that back. So do practices, how do they get involved in that or is it already linked up? It's a practice choice. It's completely optional. Mm-hmm. All they need to do is to contact the RSC team and they'll certainly work with the practice and get them signed up. They have a great practice liaison team which help with all of that and they can spend a lot of time with practice making sure the practice understand what the RSC is all about and what the benefits to the practice and to the patients are. Can it be any clinical system? Absolutely. So Vision System 1, EMIS, of course, Microtest, they're all part of the RSC. Um, it's free to join, so I must say that as well. And, and it also provides further opportunities going forward, so they can then contribute to, to the next flu seasons, other research trials going forward. So um, lots of opportunities there for practices in the future, not just now. And in, in terms of workload, Nick, you know, practices may decide that actually they don't want to get involved with swab taking and things, but the important thing is that they are signed up and they are actually contributing their data. Touching on that, we, did, we haven't really talked about the self-swabbing. What does that involve for practices? They have a key set of practices, sorry, that are part of the self-swabbing with the RSC. But uh, the self-swabbing is also part of the principal trial. So uh, patients get the swab sent to them um, via the volunteer service or via a, a friend or neighbour that can do the collection for them from the practice. And then it goes back in the post then and off it goes. Uh, obviously, we would want patients to do it themselves because the, the issue with around aerosol production, I think that's really important to say. So just so I've got it right in my head, so if practices uh, want to sign up to be part of the RSC, then they can just take part in their surveillance that will happen automatically with them once they've signed up or they can choose to also take part in the self swabbing is that right the surveillance for going forward yes absolutely in future winters yes absolutely right that would be the way they could do it and the research trials or other projects that come through the rsc with public health england they can also take part in that going forward but right now yes it's signing up to the rsc and contributing towards the coronavirus um, evidence is really key even if they're not part of the principal trial the opportunity is there be part of the rsc because then they can actually contribute and we can learn more about covid as, as, as time progresses lovely so at the minute if practices are wanting to do something but they can't get onto the principal trial yet they could be doing this in the meantime absolutely right yeah did you want to say something about the serology component nick because i think patients are very very keen to contribute to that yes the serology component at the moment within the rsc is is screening and providing surveillance information on a generally well population so basically the non-covid patient they're trying to understand why some members of the population are actually relatively well at the moment and haven't come into contact with COVID yet and what is the reasons behind that. So by the serology the testing, they can test it looking at the, the immune status of patients and trying to understand that more basically at the moment. That's where, that's where that currently sits. 
So the way that's working in practice is that um, patients who are coming in to have a routine blood test are just asked if they would mind contributing an extra little bit of blood for the um, for this program. They won't actually get the results, nor will the practice get a result, but it's very little work for practices because they're already taking blood on this patient anyway. And I think the practices that are uh, taking part or reporting patients are only too happy to help. And again, so you have to be part of the RSC to be doing that, is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and we've talked a lot actually there about all the research and it seems to be happening mostly in within GP surgery environments. Is there any research going on in, in the other community teams like pharmacies or care homes or nursing teams or anything? I'm going to go back to the principal trial again. I'm going to mention that one more time. I'm sorry. The, the key thing about the principal trial is that, yes, it's primary care, but you can badge that as community care and describe it in that way. The whole point of it is, is trying to involve all of these aspects of the community, the care homes, community pharmacies, absolutely all part of our team, our nurse practitioners, everybody's involved in it and that's the whole point of it really it is the primary slash community care study for that and there's work going on at the moment in providing this study within care homes and there's trying to put the systems in place to make sure that's safe make sure of course it's ethical make sure it fits all of the good clinical practice guidance that Sheila's mentioned earlier on because we understand the significance and the seriousness of what's going on in care homes right now I think at a national level, it's a very good question because I think there will be more studies coming through as we look at different aspects of the COVID epidemic, particularly, for example, mental health. Uh, that's a clear priority, the impact on mental health downstream from the initial epidemic. Uh, I think that's going to be really important. Uh, and so that will involve other teams in primary care. I think there will be more studies one would imagine in both pharmacies and care homes uh, specifically. And, and I think that will give us an opportunity for more practices to get involved and more practitioners in primary care to get involved going forward and because everyone's uh, chipping in with funding of course so we've got we've got national funding but we've also got the commercial studies of the drug companies funding some of these studies the principal study isn't isn't drug sponsored so just in case people had questions about that just going to say there are studies that people can get involved in without actually having to go through practices or anyone for example with the COVID-19 symptom tracker app and I think it's now had about nearly 3 million downloads. I haven't seen the latest figures. So people across the country are contributing every day this important research and all it involves is downloading the app which is free and just reporting in every day whether you've got symptoms or not. Having done it myself and my friends and family have all been doing it since it first came out, it takes about 10 seconds if you will and uh, well worth contributing to that data and so many many thanks to all the people across the country who have been uh, contributing. I think it's probably worth um, just touching on before we get towards the end that obviously life has changed very much within primary care and there are a lot of other pressures and things at the minute. Um, so what would you say to um, the people working that are feeling a bit overwhelmed with those changes and demands and don't really feel able to prioritise research? That's very easy for me to comment on that because that's absolutely fine. The answer is that it's absolutely fine. We're all in this together, actually. And some of our colleagues will be able to push on and do extra work at different times. Others will feel the strain a bit more at those times and vice versa, actually. it's a We're on a big merry-go-round, it seems, or a roller coaster, I guess. It depends which way you want to describe it. I certainly feel that even just within my practice alone, some of us are under strain today and some of us are under less strain today. And we always muck in together. We always make sure we pull together. And I think that's also a testament to what's going on nationally and amongst all of the healthcare providers, actually. I think it's really important to say that. Um, yes, we've been 
over the years mainly had a, a siloed nature within the NHS, but I think it's very joined up right now. It's absolutely fantastic when you're speaking to our secondary care colleagues and referring patients in, the understanding, the discussions that we have, the nurse-to-nurse discussions, the doctor-to-nurse discussions, the pharmacy-to-nurse discussions, the community pharmacists, everybody's in it together. And we all recognise that we must support each other through this. Lovely. Thank you for that, Nick. And we fully we fully understand that practices won't have the capacity to take part, as Nick was saying, and also depending on which part of the country they're in, it might be different. But we have had practices who initially said they weren't able to do it, and then you know some practice members have come back from self isolation, for example, and then now they're in a position to do it. So, you know, we're seeing that as well at a national level, practices being able to do it now when they weren't originally, and vice versa. But as Nick said earlier on, you know, if you really don't feel that you can do very much at the moment for whatever reason then probably the easiest thing to do is to sign up to the RSC and just contribute your data. Indeed, I think that's a great message. Yeah. Yes, ab- absolutely. And I think um, there's, uh, there is another, there's another great research data set out there called CPRD as well. And they're excellent data set. So I think that um, it's not conclusive on monopolising the situation with the RSC, but it's sort of very key that we can discuss the CPRD as well. Also really key to providing more information, more data, more evidence that we can sort of work through this and try and bring ourselves through the, the other side. Fabulous. Actually, although we're focusing on COVID-19 research and most of the other research has been put on hold, there are some studies out there that are not directly looking at COVID treatment but are out there to support people at this time. And one of the ones that we were running in Manchester is called Mood Buster, and that's an app people can sign themselves up and download and it provides a CBT program to hopefully help them with any anxiety and depression that they're feeling at the moment. It was initially just designed to run in Manchester. It has been extended. It has been rebadged uh, for anyone over the country. So um, people are feeling really anxious or depressed at the moment. Please have a look at the Mood Buster website. It's a great resource, yeah. What would you all like people to take away from this talk? I think from my point of view is to understand that research is important. It's a really important aspect of what's going on within the COVID world that we're in right now. Um, We can all take part in this. We can all contribute. It's really important to to think about that in that way. We are on on this together. I think that the, the work that's going on in primary care, secondary care, intensive cares, it's absolutely incredible to see the speed, the way that we're responding, that the way they're all coming through this. Uh, the resilience is just remarkable for all, all people are concerned. And it shows what we can do when we all work together. Yes, I think this is a great collective effort, both in primary care, but right across health, social care and public health as well, actually. And I'd encourage practices to just look out for opportunities to be involved at a level that they feel comfortable with, really. And there are great benefits for their patients of taking part in this research and giving us the answers that we need as quickly as possible. And as more studies come online, it'd be good to have more practices signing up, as well as signing up to the surveillance and the epidemiology databases as well. I think, I think from my point of view, it's the importance of, of doing the best we possibly can for our patients. Our patients we know are interested in research. And so we do have some responsibility to sort of signpost to them to opportunities where they can get involved. And hopefully, uh, between us all, we'll find something that will modify the course of this terrible virus. Thank you guys so much um, for speaking to us today. It was a really great discussion. Really appreciate you taking the time to speak to us. No problem. Thanks very much for inviting us. So that's a really lovely episode. Uh, Lisa, what did you learn? 
Uh, I think there's been a lot of publicity um, of the principal study and it's really great that it's getting a massive amount of uptake for such good work. But it was also nice to know that there are other research trials out there that practices can get involved in that isn't quite as intensive, like signing up with the RCGP Research and Surveillance Centre for things like data extraction. Um, So you don't have to do really intensive drug trials. You can get involved in a small way. So I think that was good to know. It's nice to know the different levels of kind of participation for practices. I was really impressed with the response to the question that they gave about when we asked about advice to GP practices that feel a bit overwhelmed at the moment with everything that's going on and so many changes. I really liked that um, feeling that they gave about that we're all in this together and we're striving to the same goals of looking after people. And um, Some practices might have more capacity than others at different times and that's okay and you know, it just felt like a very joined up um, approach. And I think just the idea of how well the UK seemed to be doing with their approach to research at the moment made me look quite proud. I completely agree. Um, And even just related to that, it was nice to know that if you are doing research, you're not kind of out there alone doing it. There's so much support for practices who want to get involved with the clinical research networks offering help, RCGP offering help. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess it's also really nice to highlight that there are other ways that people can contribute. Um, So you don't have to be on the delivering end of research. You could actually get the symptom tracking app yourself or get involved with Moodbuster or something like that um, and, and help in that way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, all the, all those bits will be great for patients to link in with as well, as well as clinicians. Yeah, brilliant. So for people that want to get in touch to give us any feedback or any any thoughts, you can email us at primarycarepodcasts at gmail.com or you can find us on Twitter at PCKB Podcast. Yeah, and thank you to everybody who's um, gotten in touch so far, is sharing, telling people about the podcast. It's really helpful and it does help get the word out to people. So thank you and, and please keep doing it. Um, we've also got our survey which we'll put a link to in the episode description and that's just another way for you to get in touch with us that's actually anonymous if you if you don't want to use twitter or, or email till next time on primary care knowledge boost hey guys just a friendly reminder that these podcasts are for healthcare professional education and shouldn't be used for medical advice by the general public they were recorded in greater manchester in 2020 Guidelines can vary by location as well as over time, so always check for up-to-date local and national guidelines before making treatment decisions. Uh, The content is based on our interviewee's opinion and interpretation of current best practice. It's your responsibility to use your clinical judgment before applying or relying on information solely from this podcast. Check out the episode description for full details and any links that we've mentioned in the episode.